Welcome to Healing for Healers with Abby Wynn and Regina of the Land. And now a prayer. Father Sky, Grandmother Moon, please bless this healing space. I call on the four directions, the north, south, east and west, to hold us in the energy of love, compassion, beauty, healing, lightness and joy. I invite in the wisdom of the ancestors, angels, ascended masters and star beings to enrich our conversation, inspire us and use us as channels for light, love and healing. I call on Mother Earth, the star systems and all the planets to open the pathways so we may present to you the best, richest information. Have access to the highest vibration of healing energies and offer what is most needed for those who need it right now. And so it is. And so it is. Welcome to this special guest episode of Healing for Healers, where I talk to Catherine McGuire. Catherine was born and raised on a farm in Ireland, which instilled in her a love of nature and a deep connection to the earth and to the cycles of life. Her own healing journey involved a deep dive into shamanism, tantra, and the embodiment of sacred feminine. These interweaving paths took Catherine home to her authentic self and helped her balance her inner feminine and inner masculine energies. Catherine's passionate about helping women reconnect to their creative sparkle so they can be the embodiment of their most authentic self. She's worked with groups and individuals all around the world, in Ireland, the UK, France, Italy, Spain, Finland, Germany, Russia, Australia, Hawaii, Honduras, the list goes on and on. Catherine creates a safe, non-judgmental space for exploration and healing, as well as bringing her wisdom, playfulness and a sense of humour to the unfolding adventure that is life. Catherine now lives in southern Italy, where you will most likely find her hiking in the early mornings in the mountains with her dogs. I've given Catherine's details with this podcast. You can find her website, thedivinemeridian.com. And if you sign up for her weekly emails, you can also get an MP3 meditation. I really loved talking with Catherine. I've known her for a very long time, but we've never talked the way we talked here today. And I really, really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So enjoy. So Catherine, we've been chatting for ages, but we haven't chatted together formally. So it's really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. It's so nice to be here. It's great to introduce you to the world, my world. <laughs> You're already in the world. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the work, the work you do. Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you a story? Please. Stories are great. Okay. So let's take a breath. And on that breath, let's journey back through time and space to the middle of Ireland where there's a bog. And on the side of that bog, there's a stone cottage. And from the chimney of that cottage, you can see a tendril of smoke rising with the dawn. 
And if you keep watching that cottage, soon a woman will step across the threshold with wiry hair like the heather. Wind burned face like the, the, you know, the turf of the bog itself. And you don't know how old she is, but you know she has seen time. She puts her satchel across her shoulder and walks out onto the bog. And that's how she spends her day. Walking among the bog, looking, watching, and every so often stooping down, picking up a bone putting it in her satchel. That's what she do all day till she goes home. And she get in in the evening, stoke her fire, make some tea, have something to eat. And then very carefully open that satchel and remove all the bones. One bone, another bone. Piece by piece, bone by bone, putting skeletons back together. Skeletons of animals who a long, 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 long time ago got lost on the bog. Until one day will come when she's one full skeleton. Maybe a hare, maybe a fox, maybe a wolf. She lay it down in front of her fire. And she'll stoke the turf and she'll light her pipe and she'll begin to sing. And that's what she will do all night. She will sing and she will pray and she will pray and she will sing. And somewhere in the dark of night, the flesh will return to those bones and she'll keep singing and she'll keep praying. And suck on her pipe and blow that smoke across those bones. The flesh will return to the bones, so will the fur or the feather. And somewhere just before dawn, its heart will start to beat again. And she let it rest. She let it sleep. Give it time to remember who it was and how it was it got lost on the bog. And then dawn will come. Again, she put turf on the fire. She'll gather her satchel. She'll look down to that animal and she'll say, come on. And together they'll step towards the door. And she'll give it a look. Only wild women on bogs can do. And say to it, don't let me find you here again. And she'll open her door and that animal will step across her threshold. And in that moment, be returned to the woman who a long time ago got lost on the bug. That's what I do. I gather bones. Wow. And I send them back out when they remember who they are. That's a fabulous way. Of talking about healing. That's beautiful. How do I top that now? I don't know what to say next. <laughs> I love that story. There's lots of talent in that story. Clarissa Pinkolas tells one, loads of people tells one. And it's I think for me it is the essence of what we're doing here, you know, we're trying to remember ourselves, trying to find ourselves, put ourselves back together. Sometimes we can manage it by ourselves. And sometimes we need some help. Yeah. 
And are you finding nowadays that the people that are coming to you already know what their issues are, but they just haven't been able to transform them or embody the changes? Yeah, like I find now clients who come to me have done a lot of work, you know, like inner work's not new to them, self, you know, self-help, healing, whatever name you want to put on it, it's not new. But it's like they just can't, it's like they're stuck. They just can't make that shift. You know, something's stuck, something's out of alignment. And it's, and I think a lot of the times I find, like I work mostly with women, a lot of the times I find it's almost like they know what they need, even if they haven't the ability to verbalize what that is. It's it's like a, a somatic sense in their being. So it's like if you can bear witness to that and give them that container for that space and give them some of the language around it, they can do a lot of that work themselves, you know. They just need to be heard and to be witnessed. And also I find a lot of the times to be told they're actually not mad, you know. <laughs> it's like I've been thinking about this. I've been, you know, this has been going on. I've been kind of feeling this. I want to do this. I want to leave this, change this. I think I'm going crazy. And it's like, no, darling, I think you're going insane. You know, you're actually getting your sanity back. And I think that's a big thing for people in that are, in our modern world, um, if you want to call it, it's like there's a particular way we're supposed to be. You're supposed to act or conform or be in relationship or whatever it is. And a lot of people are feeling that that's just not doing it for them. So like to give them that space, we go, that's OK. It's OK, you know, to do something else. You know, it's OK to carve a different path. Um, and I think that can be, you know, like so freeing for someone to hear that because it gives them permission to do what was pent up inside them anyway you know yeah they were just keeping it all suppressed or you know hidden away a lot of it is um feeling that they don't deserve to have that joy I think that's a big one yeah or that they need to go into that for want of a better word rat race Mm. yeah I had someone saying to me I keep sabotaging my jobs and I'm like yeah well it's because you don't want those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, you know, it's so true. And that's, you know, you know, that's the gift of the psyche, you know, like the psyche will set up for you, you know, you know, it always leads you back to, I think, it, you know, we're always being nudged to be our most authentic self. That's always the nudge, you know. So, Yeah sabotage the jobs away it's great (laughs) (laughs) make friends with that aspect of you that wants to sabotage and find out what she really wants Mm, and that's the powerful bit you know and that's oh I love those like that's where the real alchemy happens you know that's the really juicy bit like what's that troublesome part of myself what's that you know bit that's causing chaos in my life you know like as you say make friends with it meet it make friends with it get to know it because it has good medicine it has good medicine and it probably has some really good true medicine that will help you on your path you know and I think that's the thing for me that's really more important now than ever you know healing's not all you know kind of like rose quartz and fairy bubbles you know um, you really got to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. But my God, the gifts in those parts are great, you know? Yeah, I always feel that the new age movement and love and light has done damage 
to people, making people feel, well, I always have to be calm. I always have to be happy. I'm not allowed to get angry. And instead of um, creating something that's accessible, it's made it quite the opposite. And I think it's been deliberate. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I see the evolution of where we're going to. And more and more people like like you and me are, are seeing more and more people who know what they need to do. They just need that witness. And it's it's such an honor to be chosen and to, to, to uh, you know, make the space for that. It is, but you know, it's also so much just goddamn fun, Abby. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Like, I love that. You know, there's parts of my job that are hard, but I love that. I love when someone's in such a knot, in such a bloody knot, or so caught up in something. And then a little bit of light and kind of something gets in, and I like, bah! and all of a sudden, whew, you know, everything changes. There's alchemy. And I was like, oh, like the fact that we get to bear witness to alchemy, you know, like, holy crap, that's amazing. Like, that is amazing, you know, and that never gets less for me. You know, every time that happens, my heart explodes in my chest and I go away happy. You know, I might go away tired or I might go away, you know, empty, you know, from whatever, but God, I go away happy. You know, and it's like something, it's like some, like a supernova got released in the world today. You know, that's amazing. (laughs) And we get to sit and yeah, we get to sit and bear witness to that. But isn't it fun? You know, that's that like that is magic for me. That is absolute pure magic. I don't think I've ever used the word fun, but this is great to get someone else's perspective. But definitely magical. But, you know, (sighs) I don't know if you have this, but like, you know, I grew up on a farm on the east coast of Ireland. So like I grew up like knowing hard work, like hard physical work. And um, I grew up in between two villages. So like, you know, one was a fishing village. One was a more agricultural village. And we grew up right in the middle. So like everyone around us worked hard, you know, and sometimes lost their life to that work. Like some of the fishermen died, some of the farmers died. So like. And I think there's something in the Irish psyche. It's like, and you see it in our ballads and you see it in our poetry and you see it in our storytelling. It's like, we like the hard path, you know, (laughs) we like to suffer, (laughs) you know, we really like to suffer. And there's kind of like a pride in it or something. And the flip side of that is we forget that, you know, well, actually we have access to joy. And we have access to beauty and access to grace. And it's like, if we're going to suffer, at least go for the joy on the other side of the pendulum, you know? So I think that's really important. And I say that as someone who, you know, (laughs) I've done my fair share of choosing suffering, you know? Um, But I really feel for where we are in the world, for the times we're in in the world, have to reach for joy because we can stay in the pain of the suffering which there is in the world that's I'm not denying that for a second but it's like what are we going to move to as we move through that you know and that's the thing about healing work like you're moving through your pain you're moving through your shadow you're moving through whatever is wrong or challenging in your life so there's something else the other side of that and that is the joy that is the bliss that is the beauty you know So I do think this work can be joyful, you know, and I think those moments, those kind of exquisite moments 
where something alchemical, magical happens. It's like, you know, nectar on your tongue. It's like to pause for that. Don't move on to the next thing. Go like, ah, magic happened today. Someone found a piece of themselves. Something that was lost to them they found today or something that they put away because somebody told them it wasn't good enough 40, 50, 60 years ago. They took that back today. Like, oh, my God, that's joy, you know, and sit and be with that. Just let that sit in the room, you know, without rushing on to something else, rushing on to the next piece of suffering. Sit with the joy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the human doing versus the human being. Absolutely. It is. It's fabulous. It's, it's um, like giving birth. There's the pain and then there's the beauty and this new being coming through. But that's kind of the same as the alchemy is somebody finding themselves new. Mm. And it's that death and birth cycle, you know, and I think that was, you know, I really feel blessed that I grew up on a farm. I really do. And I know people have lots of issues about farming and modern farming and rightly they should have. But I grew up on a little mom and pop farm, you know, and one of the things that it really instilled in me was that circle of life and death and that circle of the seasons, you know, and the the intimate dance with all of that, you know, and I think that's the healing, like some part of you has to die for some new part of you to come into life, you know, and that new part at some point may die again for another part to be born, you know, or in this constant cyclical dance with life and the universe of birth and death of ourselves, you know, like I'm, I was 51 this year, like the, the woman I am today has died, you know, to herself so many times, I'm sure you have too, and being born again, you know, and will continue to do so as long as I walk this earth, you know, um, and yet some parts have stayed the same, there's some constants in there as well. No, it is. It's fabulous. Um, And the cycles is going deeper and deeper within to unwind and unravel those parts that are are ready now to come Mm. through. And I think when you're not afraid of the work, that makes all the difference, really. Or be afraid and show up anyway. (laughs) I show up and I'm terrified. I show up. Jesus, I had a flipping tantrum of tantrums last week. The resistance, oh my God, you know. Um, and I said to my husband, I can feel like I can feel it. Like I can feel that tantrumy resistance. I knew what it was. And he was like, you have 24 hours because I'm sick listening to you. <laughs> so, so. I knew the two of them would get on great. My husband and your husband, they sound very similar. <laughs> something about that saying to me like you know I've taught you have 24 hours I was like oh what's the point of keeping up the tantrum if I'm only getting 24 more hours of it, I might as well deal with it now do you know that kind of way so sometimes you have to show up in the tantrum or you show up in the resistance or you show up what you're afraid and sometimes that's where the best work's done you know I definitely see that with clients you know they're really unsure really uncertain really because it opens it like a door to a vulnerability where something else can come through where something else can be born you know I love that yeah. Yeah. You know, what was interesting today is somebody had a past life reading done and they experienced huge trauma from those stories of what happened in the past life. And so they were coming to me because they weren't able to shift that. So I said, be with the you today in this moment 
that's experiencing the trauma now, rather than going into the story of what you were told by another healer, Mm. you know, and I said, but here I am a healer telling you not to listen to it. What a healer told you story, Mm. (laughs) you know, it can get quite confusing. So so what do you feel is the true thing to do? You're here now in this moment, you were triggered, you're holding trauma. It's funny, you know, you get a lot of that. A healer told me this and a healer told me that. And now I'm really upset about it. It's, it's, it can be like stepping on eggshells sometimes, but, um, yeah, you know, it's a, oh God, it's a big one, really. It's a big one, really. And I think, and that's why for me, it's really, really important for, you know, healers, therapists, whatever we do our own work. Cause you know, and I've been guilty of it in the past. I'd a hundred percent put my hand up and own that, you know, of like running through stuff through my own filter, you know, and that's why we have to do our own inner work, you know, because otherwise you just dump your filter. And I saw that like in the early years when I trained in shamanism, you know, you know, especially like we had to do a lot of put in a lot of hours, you know, like for, you know, with other people we were training with to, to kind of learn the techniques and stuff. There was a lot of drama. There was a lot of drama. And the truth of it is, it was all our own drama that we just projected onto someone else. You know, and that's why, you know, in hindsight and go, that's why we were made do hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of training and swaps and training and swaps to like purge it from your being, you know, but doesn't mean it never happens again, you know, but I think, yeah. And I think, you know, stories are so powerful, you know, we've been telling stories since we could talk and actually probably telling stories before we could talk because we drew stories on cave walls, probably before we had speech as we know it. Um, I just told you a story, whatever, 10 minutes ago. But I th- I think there is that thing of being really careful of how we name someone else's story. And definitely in my own work that has changed a lot over the years, I've stopped naming other people's stories, you know, and let those find those, like you were saying today, what's happening in your body now, like coming back to that embodied experience and letting people you know, help them articulate it and help them find ways to articulate it, but let them name it themselves. Yeah, Definitely. I think that's really important. And as I say, I have been guilty of, I hate saying the wrong way, but I've, you know, if there's been mistakes to be made, I'm doing this a long time. I'm doing this over 20 years. I have made those mistakes. That's how I've learned from them. So, yeah, and it's in the, you know, we learn them, but uh, yeah. But it's in your authenticity and your ability to look at yourself to heal them so it doesn't perpetuate I mean that's really important yeah it is but also I I just you know I can't do what I do and expect someone to go and look at their stuff and not look at my own you know and it's you know it's and also just it goes back to that joy thing again the more of my own stuff I look at the more of it I release from my being the more parts of myself the more of those bones I collect and bring back in the more joy I have in my life, you know, the less stress I have in my life. So I know it works, you know, <laughs> I really know it works. Like, and this is, goes back to farm girl, you know, like I am really practical, you know? So if something works, I'm all for it, you know? Um, because I learned as a kid, if, you know, you put this in the soil and it grows, you're doing the right thing. If something hasn't grown, what have you done or what's going on? Or, you know, like figure that out. Does it work? And then, you know, as a farmer, like if it doesn't work, you don't eat. So like there's a real real intimate relationship with something working there. If you're not, if you're putting those seeds in the ground, they're not growing, you're not eating. So, um, 
for me, healing is the same. Like, is it working? Is it making a difference? You know, and I think that's the thing. It's like you can get caught in, oh, someone said this does this. And someone said this has the vibration of that. And someone says this. It's like, I don't care about any of that. I'm like, is something changing for you? Have you a somatic experience of change? Is there something shifting in your psyche that is helping you to feel better, be more joyous, be less stressed, have better relationships, get your you know financial life in order, get your health in order, whatever it is. And if it's working, amazing. And if it's not, maybe someone sold you the magic beans. <laughs> you, <should go> <laughs> you know, so... I'm all for practical, you know, I'm really not airy fairy. And, you know, so it has to work for me. It has to work for me. And inner work and personal work works for me because I'm better for doing it. But I do it in a way that works for me, you know, and I think you're probably the same. It does. It kind of of shifts and changes with the cycles and the seasons as well. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've definitely noticed that since I stepped into, you know, like I'm taking that journey from like perimenopause, menopause at the moment. And things that used to work for me just don't work anymore. They just don't, you know. So it's been a real gear change in loads of ways. Gear change in like the food I eat, gear change in the exercise I do, but also gear change in the inner work that I do. You know, that's shifted too, because I need different things. There's a different ask of me and my being. Um. And like, I would be used to changing with the seasons, you know, like in winter, I do different things to spring, but this has definitely been a big overhaul, I would say, in how I approach my own inner work and how I approach just my own well-being as well, you know? So with your well-being, what would have changed? I am a whole lot gentler on myself. A whole lot. And I say that as someone who used to be really hard on herself. There's a lot more gentleness in there. There's a lot more kindness, a lot more self-compassion. But also a shift. Like before, like when I took that journey into menopause, I lost muscle mass, you know. And one of the things that, you know, I always liked I was I'm always kind of physically active I'd always be strong and I'd go to lift something and I wouldn't actually have the strength to lift it and that freaked me out you know just that it's like so like I had to change exercise so I had to do stuff like start lifting weights things like that get my muscle back um and change how I ate, ate. I needed more protein than I was getting um and with regard to my own inner work like I always spend a lot of time in nature that's a big part of my day you know I walk I live in the mountains I garden um but even listening more intimately in a whole new way what nature has to say to me you know um and my body tells me more now it just speaks to me more than it's ever spoken to me before so listening to those cues and listening to that wisdom you know so it's like I hate saying like the crone because I don't feel I'm like the crone I feel like I'm years from the crone yet um I haven't earned those stripes yet but Mm. But it is that more insular, listening, quieter kind of energy in myself, you know, where before it would have been more yang, more doing. Um, And it's nice. I'm really enjoying it. I'm actually really enjoying it. I'm wondering then, 
the shift in gears, have you noticed that you're doing that with your clients as well and getting maybe more profound results as a, you know, from that, or it, I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And all my whole life journey as a healer with clients, my clients have always reflected my process, you know, um, so much so oh, about 10 years ago, back when I was in Ireland, um, a woman walked into my healing room and she was wearing, I always remember this day, she was wearing like little black boots with like a short heel, like about half inch inch heel, pinstripe trousers and a blue V-neck jumper. I was wearing little ankle boots with a short heel, pinstripe trousers and a blue V-neck jumper. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, Catherine, you're in trouble because if she's showing up dressed as you are, you haven't done your inner work this week. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about being triggered as a healer. Oh, oh, I'm like, oh, girl, you've got some work to do. And it it was it was actually amazing. And like I knew her. I'd known her a long time. She was a long time client of mine. She used to come every so often for kind of like an MOT, you know. But I remember she walked in. I remember thinking, oh, universe, you're hilarious. You're hilarious. And of course, her process was my own process, you know. But um, definitely the way I've it just it also made me double down on my inner work. So (laughs) You know, sometimes you kind of take your foot off the gas, think I'm doing okay, nothing really major going on. I was like, mm, okay. So, yeah, but definitely I see a change in how I work up my clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I think that's the thing, you know, about doing the work that we do. When we continue to grow, the work grows with us and we grow with the work and it, it's not boring. No, never boring challenging sometimes you feel like you're hanging on by your nails but (laughs) it's never boring well that's that's the thing you say only give me what I can handle oh you can handle an awful lot more than you think you can (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) oh yeah I know that one I know that one yeah it's true so would you have a, a, a busy week packed with clients or because the work you do is so profound, do you space them out? Do you deliberately put in time for yourself? Yeah, I can't see lots of people every day. Um, so the way I work is, and I also have clients across different time zones. So my day would normally... Well, my day starts the same every day. So I get up and I just head out. I head out with the dogs out onto the mountain. That's the start of my day every day. And I don't do phones. I don't do podcasts. I don't any of that. I just walk with my dogs and there's different little kind of goat tracks around the mountain. So I take a different track, you know, I switch up the tracks and walk different places every day. Um, And that's my time with me, with the dogs, with the earth, listening, talking to nature, talking to God. Um, and then I come back in and then it's usually, you know, like breakfast with my husband, usually we meet for breakfast. It sounds mad, but I'm a morning person. He's a nighttime person. So we kind of meet for breakfast. Um, and then there's like the morning is the fa- my favorite part of my day. The early morning is my favorite part of the day. So I keep it to myself. I don't do clients earlier in the morning. Um, 
then I'll usually go, I live in Italy, so we usually go up to the bar in Italy, you get your coffee in the bar, you usually go up to the bar, have a coffee, see my neighbours, have a chat. And then I come back around work. So I work maybe half 10 in the morning, 11 o'clock. And then I work into the afternoon, depending. Um, and because I've clients in the States and different places that they work during the weeks, I usually work a Saturday, but then I take a Monday mm-hmm. as my weekend. But um, I don't work flat out, Abby, nor do I want to. To tell you the truth, um, I do what I can manage as in to keep me well. If I do too much, I get really tired. I get really exhausted. And like, I know if I overdo it, then I end up having to, you know, take days off. So I just keep a steady pace, you know. Um, and I've geared my life towards that. You know, I, I live a really simple life, you know. Um, I'm not highly geared financially, so I don't have big bills that I have to pay. And that was a really conscious choice. A really, really conscious choice. So I live a really simple life, and a lot of that is spent in nature, in my garden, with my dogs, my husband, um, doing things that I really enjoy that really nourish me, and working with my clients. But I don't like I don't do 40, 60 hours a week. That day is long gone, long, long gone. Um, nor do I want to, you know, because it's no good to me, and I'm no good to anybody else. You know, we do deep work. Um, I usually work with people for blocks of time, like we do 12 sessions or 24 sessions and then we're done. Then, you know, and they're purposely done. You know, I want them to go into the world and go off um, and kind of really ground what we've done and really see their life different based on what we've worked on. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, nor do I want to. I'm not one of those people you hear going, oh, well, I had, you know, 10 clients a day and I didn't finish till 9 p.m. and blah, blah. I will not be that person. You know, back back in my life before this, you know, I was a television executive. I used to um, buy and schedule programs for television stations. That was my life then. And that's how I burnt out. So I will not be going back to that. So I learned the hard way. That's an incredibly different life to what you're doing now. You know, it is and it isn't in all truth in that. I suppose. When I was in secondary school, um, my dad went to Multi Farnham, which is like a, f- a farm college, really, you know. Um, my mom didn't go to college. Um, so when I was in secondary school, after the junior cert, they said it was like, you know, they started saying, what are you going to do after school? And, you know, I honestly had never thought about it. Part of me thought I'd just be a farmer, you know. Mm. Um, and then they kept saying, what are you going to do after college? And I was like, God, or after school. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, because people in my family hadn't gone to college, you know, um, and I'm the eldest of six. So I had no siblings that were ahead of me that went to college. And I thought, well, OK, well, what do I like? And at the time it was like, you know, you could be a nurse. My sister went off to be a nurse and you could do a commercial course. Do you remember when they used to call them commercial courses? <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know what a commercial course is when you go off and you like to be a PA or a secretary. And that was fine, except I did that as a summer job for my uncle and I knew that's not how I wanted to spend my week, you know. Um, and that's really all career. Or you could be a teacher. So that's really all career guidance came up with. You know, and I was like, none of this is really interesting to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> like I had this life where like I got to, you know, I grew up in a farm. There was our house. There were two fields on the beach. And we had so much freedom. We had so much freedom as kids. We just went off, you know, and you wanted me to do a course while sitting in an office all week. And I was like, I don't think I'll be doing that, you know. 
Um, I thought, what do I like? So I liked cooking and I liked, I did like television and I was involved with the the radio. There was a radio station in the school and stuff like that. So I liked that kind of media communications kind of thing. So I went to Cottlebury Street to see about doing, you know, catering and, you know, all that. Hated Cottlebury Street, said no thanks. And then I found a course that they actually taught you how to make television programs. I thought, well, this would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, it was no different to me, really, because... I did loads of creative stuff. Like I did marketry, I did tapestry, I did painting, I did all that. I just made stuff with my hands. So like making a TV program didn't seem that different really. It was just like making more stuff. <laughs> so it wasn't that different. Um, and I went to college and the best time I had three amazing years. We've made, you know, we made TV shows, we made radio programs, we learned how to do photography. It was amazing, really amazing. And then I went out into the big bad world and... Um, when I came out of college, Ireland was just coming out of a recession. There were really few jobs. Um, I did all sorts of jobs. I temped, I worked in shops, I did all that. And then an American company opened a, an office in Dublin, a television office in Dublin, where they were buying Amer- or buying Irish television programs to show in the States. And a friend of mine who'd been working in Boston rang and said, you wouldn't believe it, there's a TV company opening in, in, in Ireland. Because like, at the time, there was only RTE. There was no TV3, there was no um, TG Cahar, there was no really the independent little facility house that there are now. And I remember I got a job there, which was amazing at the time, really amazing. Like, And then from there I got promoted, and from there I went on to work for an English company who was doing the same thing. And at that bit, before I started, and that was the hard worker thing, you know, that hard worker archetype that I have because I grew up in a farm. So, you know, you work hard. So you work hard and I got promoted and I worked hard and I got promoted. But I got promoted out of the fun. I got promoted out of making television programs. Mm. I got promoted into management where it's definitely not fun because it's all about ratings <laughs> and numbers <laughs> and advertising and advertising revenue and all this. And it was like, it got to be not fun very quickly. And I didn't get to the set foot in a television studio anymore or make programs or do any of the things that were fun. Um, and it got really bloody stressful, really, really bloody stressful. And I think looking back at it now, I definitely had a good dose of imposter syndrome. You know, it's like, here am I from a farm, this TV executive who they're flying to Cannes twice a year to buy TV programs what the freaking hell am I doing? (laughs) I am winging this like you wouldn't believe. And then around that time, this will just tell you how long ago it was, um, we were moving from analog to digital. So, and that completely freaked me out because I did like, I went to college, I learned how to edit stuff on tapes. You know, you put a tape in the machine, you record it onto tape, you edited tape, the whole thing. We were going digital. I couldn't see where the freaking tape was. <laughs> they were talking. And I kind of rewind the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're going on platforms. We won't have to do. We just put it up on a satellite. I was like so adept. And the stress of that plus the crazy work hours. And because, and that was the thing. It was like it all seemed so important, you know, and it wasn't. It was television for God's sake. Um, and I burnt out and I burnt out and that's, you know, and it was a valuable lesson to learn. But for me in the beginning, television was that lovely creative soup with amazing people, like other creative, fun, interesting people, you know, um, until my hard worker archetype kicked in and got me promoted to management. And then the fun was gone. The fun was gone. 
but I still use those principles. Like there's lots I learned from making programs, all of that photography, all of that. Like there's still bits of it I use storytelling. I still use, you know, so I don't think it's that there's a part of it that still is a part of me, but just not where it ended up, you know. But then during that burnout time, would that have been when you would have discovered healing or was that before? Before, before, when I was working, the first company I worked with was a company called Celtic Vision. And my boss was an American called Walt Baker. And Walt Baker was a really big boned man and his voice came from his boots. And I remember going to the interview, he scared the bejesus out of me. I was so scared listening to him. We were doing the interview and the offices for Kelsey Vision at the time were in Temple Bar where there was a sound recording studio downstairs and they'd rented the offices above. Walt was a big guy at his big desk, huge big signet ring from his dad was a cop in Philadelphia. And halfway through my interview, during the interview, there's this guy laying a drum track downstairs in the recording studio. You could hear the vibration of it coming up through the floor. So he's asking me questions. I'm answering the questions. I'm hearing the drum. But halfway through the interview, he slams his hands on the table. And the signet ring hit, you know, the sound of a big ring hitting the table. And he goes, God damn it. If I had my gun, I'd shoot that bastard. <laughs> Like, I don't know what I was, 20. I really needed the job. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know if I need this job. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, Ola. It's like, who is this man? And he'd work for Paramount. He'd work for Disney. He'd, he'd Emmys on his desk. He had a list. Of, oh, my God. I'm like, and then I actually left after the interview. I went round to one of the hotels in Temple Bar and ordered a brandy. Like, I was so shocked. <laughs> I was so shook and then he rang me afterwards and he was like he offered me the job and I really had to go god you know there's no television jobs in Ireland and he's got the only goddamn television job going but do I want to work for this guy (laughs) I took the job and I was in the office with him and we fought like cats and dogs he was real like right-wing republican I was you know left-wing out of college you know women's rights the whole thing and we fought all day and we just fell madly in love with each other. You know, we just became the best of friends, the best of friends, you know. And But his wife was part of the Science of Mind Church, uh, which was kind of like a journey Louise Hay had come through. Right, yes. She came to work in the office for a while. She came over and she had been, she'd one of the highest ranking TV shows in America for kids in her time, like really progressive thinker. And she gave me Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life book. And that like just set something off. And it was like, it's like, I knew this, but I didn't know I knew this. Mm. Like there's a language in here that I understand that actually makes sense of lots of things I knew, but I didn't know I knew or didn't know why I knew them. And that was amazing. And that was kind of the start of it for me. And that started me looking more into metaphysics, looking more into different things like that, starting doing courses and things like that. And then they went back to America. That company folded. I went on to work for a different company. And um, then I got burnout. But during that time, like I'd been learning loads of stuff, but I burnt out. And as part of the getting well, um, that was definitely the push. The burnout and the getting well was definitely the push to actually really get my feet wet you know it's kind of like 
dancing around the edges. It was all very interesting, having a nice time. Um, but I really had to kind of leap in then and that changed everything. So definitely my burnout was my catalyst. Like I'd never take that back. I'm really grateful for it. Um, still, you know, sorry, I put my body through that, you know, cause it was, I did get quite sick, but I wouldn't take it back. It was definitely the, it definitely changed the whole, actually, do you know what? I was going to say it changed the whole trajectory of my life. And that's not actually true. I think it actually put me back on course. I think that's really what I did. It just flipped me back onto the path that was more suited to me, you know, mm. um, because the work I do is kind of, it's not that dissimilar to kind of being a farm girl, really, you know. But it's also got that creative aspect. Mm. The thinking outside the box. There's the storytelling and the archetypes, which comes mm-hmm. big into television. I think that's why so many people are attracted to watching shows that draw them into archetypes that they resonate with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to tie what you've just said into archetypes, into what you said earlier around on the flip side, bringing the joy in the other side of the pain. And one of um, the things that I've noticed and realized is that we have all these archetypes, but there isn't an archetype for the healed person that people can see or connect to and relate to and understand. I mean, I find personally when I work with people, there's a wall of fear between them and being well because they don't know what being well looks like. Mm. And so I always encourage people, well, let's together create a healed archetype, our best healed self archetype, so that more and more people can see it's a real thing, it's doable, it's achievable, and you don't need to be afraid of it. And you can still have a brandy if you want one, and you can still (laughs) lose your temper, and you can still say, you're one down the road, isn't she? You're right, (laughs) so-and-so. I still have my coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning. And you can have your coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning, and, 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 and you can watch crap TV if you want to, or, you know, read trashy novels and, and, and still be healed. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's really, I think that's hugely profound. And I think it's so, so necessary. And I, you know, we were talking about this, myself and my husband yesterday, he was just talking about something he's reading at the moment that kind of, that our ability, you know, to be human and divine, you know, at the same time as opposed to when you pop your clogs and move on to the afterlife, you get access to your divinity, you know? Um, And I really, like archetypes for me are a way to engage with the bigger cosmos that is the life we're living, you know? And I think for me, that healed archetype is really important because for bigger reasons, for our own reason, you know, but also for this gorgeous earth we live on, which is we have so out of balance because of us. If we can connect to that archetype of, you know, that healed archetype within our psyches, it means it that filters into our social systems, our politics, how we treat other people, how we treat the earth. And if we can access that healed archetype, the ripple effect that has out into the whole like the cosmic life that we live in all levels, 
you know, it means we can think up new financial systems. It means we think we can new, new social systems, new political systems. It's like I'm in Italy. The government fell again this week. And it's like the government fell again. But like it, it won't be anything different than when it fell the last time. I know, I'm waiting for the Irish one. To the fall. next time. <laughs> because we haven't reimagined you know, we're still caught in the old archetypal dances of who we are and we're still projecting our, our fears onto the structure, you know. So. You know what's coming up for me as you're saying this, which I'm finding really interesting? What? That all the television that gets the ratings are not around the archetype of being healed. It's all the drama and the story. No, and you know, Because so, there's so in it. So it's like the, 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 the limiting belief is, well, healed archetypes don't make for good television. So or, for good commerce. <laughs> or for good commerce, because you don't buy if you're happy, you know, so the commerce, the economy does not benefit from you being happy. You don't buy stuff. Yeah, buy stuff you don't need just to make yourself feel better. Yeah, so, you know, it's not a popular art. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Thank you very much. Yeah, they don't like that. <laughs> You keep your drama. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on now. That yeah, doesn't but but, but humanity needs it. Absolutely, humanity needs it, and we need it now. You know, we need it now. And it it's you know, I do a practice where I meet my future self. You know, so like if I'm going through something, I always meet my future self that's at the other side of it. And sometimes that future self, depending on what I'm doing, can be like a month out, or can be five years, ten years out. You know, but she's she's got it sorted, and it's it always helps me inform the decisions that I make now, you know, and it's the same. So what does that healed version of you look like? You know, what are they wearing? What are they, how are they holding their hair? You know, how are they well, shoes? Striped trousers and a blue v-neck. Pinstripe trousers and a blue v-neck. And that, I think that's such a thing, which is like, you have to have a sense of humor with all this. Oh my God. You don't have a sense of humor. You're going to actually go mad. You have to have a sense of humor. You have to be willing to laugh at yourself. Don't take it all too seriously. Oh, my God. You know, really don't. You have to bring a sense of humor or we're doomed. We are doomed. You know, so, you know, reach for joy. Reach for the healed version of yourself. Reach for humor. Reach for that. And I don't mean it in a gaslighting. There's nothing bad in the world. You know, I have not, you know, I'm just ignoring my challenges. It's not any, that's not what I mean. I mean, despite my challenges, despite me having the mother of all tantrums, despite whatever is going on in the world, find joy anyway, you know, find joy in spite of it, you know, find humor in spite of it. Even if it's blackest of black humor, find it, you know, find the healing in it. You know, it's like the way I can say to you, my burnout was, you know, it was crap. It was challenging. But there was a lot of good medicine in it, you know, so reach for the joy anyway. Reach you know, I was going to say to you as we come to the to the end of this fabulous discussion, if you had any advice for other healers, but I think you've just given it. Reach, yeah, it? reach for the joy. but And don't ignore the crappy stuff, but reach for the joy anyway. You know, reach for the magic. In there, there is magic. In the darkest of the dark, there is magic, you know. And reach for it, really reach for it. And don't, what do I want to say? I was going to use a double negative. That's not good English. Um, Like, remember, there's always the potentiality for magic. There's always the potentiality for something else. There's always the potentiality for joy, no matter how dark the day is. And I say that to you, reminding myself as I'm saying it, I'm saying it to myself because I have to remind myself of that some days, you know. 
But there is always the opportunity to reach for the joy, even if it's a small thing. You know, small joy some mornings is my coffee, you know. That's it. That's it. And that's why I made the podcast Healing for Healers, because healers need healers too. And they need, you know, the witnesses as well. And sometimes when something bloody amazing happens in front of you with your client, you just need to tell someone, oh, my God, I just saw the most amazing thing. And sometimes the husband isn't the one who's going <laughs> to. <laughs> it is, you know, it was amazing. Sham and I worked years ago, Lynn Berryhill. And she's an amazing artist, an amazing visual artist, really incredible artwork. Um, and I was training her a long time ago. And. And I think as healers, there's a fine line, you know, there's a fine line between doing your own process, but also knowing when you need to reach for help, you know, and that's because you can reach too soon and disempower yourself or you can stay in your own rut too long and not get the help you need. So there's a there's a there's a really, you know, there's a there's a little dance in there in the mid ground of when you need to reach and when you need to kind of sit with it and process yourself. But you said something to me. (laughs) long time ago that always struck me when I was in my particularly I was obviously having another tantrum in that moment <laughs> there's a pattern emerging um, and she looked me in the eyes one day and she says Catherine because I was working through something and I was really just trying to get it and get out the other side of it and you know like that and she looked me in the eyes and she said to me Catherine she who is shaman for herself is a fool <laughs> Okay, all right then. I'll just go get some help with my tail between my legs. <laughs> and it is, and that's that fine. I was holding on too long. I was holding, on, and that's it. Sometimes we need someone outside ourselves, whether it's to bear witness to something we've done, something amazing that's happening because we need to. And I think that's the thing for healers. You know, it can be like, oh my God, I'm the healer. I shouldn't need help. I should have all my stuff together. It's like, you need probably more help, you know? And get the help and get the help you need. And I would definitely say, get the help outside your own field of reference. You know, so yes. if, you're, if you're a shaman, don't go to another shaman. Go to a body worker, go to someone else. You know, if you're a body worker, go to a shaman. Like, because you will know the techniques and you will be able to dance around them. And then you will sabotage the process. So go to someone outside your, your own field of reference. You know, that, def, that really helps. That's fabulous. Fabulous advice. Well, I've really loved talking to you. Oh, thank and you. I'm sure our listeners have loved listening to you. So I'm putting all your links and everything about you in with this podcast details. And I'll have to have you back on. Oh, that'd be lovely. Have a super day. Thank you so much. Bye, love. If there's anything in this podcast that triggered you, upset you, or stimulated you to want to know more, If you've got questions or if you have anything at all that you'd like Regina and I to cover on the show, please write to us. The email is healingforhealerspodcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next time.